Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am your host, Gary Gramling. I will be joined by a special guest in just a moment. We are uh, obviously through draft season. Uh, I, I think you probably knew that. I hope you didn't uh, settle in this weekend for more drafting because there was none. Uh, so we are on to the off season here. And uh, we're going to start the show with a look at the five second-year starting quarterbacks uh, the five guys who started last year and will start again this year. So, uh, I, you know, I, I realize Jared Sidham is also a second-year starting quarterback, but uh, uh, we're, we're not really going to deep-dive him in this one. We're going to be talking about Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, and Gardner Minshew, their outlooks going forward, short-term and long-term. And uh, quite honestly, we're doing it because the last two NFL MVPs were second-year players, and these guys are all second-year players. So that is an unbreakable trend, and one of these guys <laughs> will be your 2020 NFL MVP. With that, I bring in our special guest, Andy Benoit is back. Andy, how's it going? It's going very well. I had not thought about that last two MVP thing. It's not like I hadn't didn't know it. It's just I didn't think of it in those terms. Great sell. It, 
It it is it is and and look I I believe it was I don't have the 2017 draft in front of me but I believe it was the latest first round pick among the second year quarterbacks so I guess that would be uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins put all your money on Dwayne Haskins being the 2020 NFL MVP there you go uh, let's get right into it though Andy let's uh let's start with uh, all these guys are are very unique and uh, you know obviously the the mvp thing was meant as something of a joke so hopefully you did not finalize your bet at this point but uh these guys are all unique uh and they're all i would i i feel like they're kind of further away than the guys have been the last two years um i i guess if you were honestly going to handicap the field here you would probably say the guy who's the number one overall pick in 2019 kyler murray is probably the closest to a, a true breakout season here um I, you know, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. It just seemed like there were no easy throws in this offense for Kyler Murray last year. And, and uh, you know, it was an uneven offense. Not not surprising, new head coach, new quarterback. But it just seemed like every throw he had to make was to a fairly tightly covered receiver. And, you know, he had to do it while under duress as well. Well, yeah, and maybe once you talk about throws that travel 10 yards plus downfield, because there were there are a lot of essentially long handoffs in that offense with yeah, the screens yeah. and all that. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's an okay design passing game. I don't know if that's the issue. I do believe, Gary, that there are times where Murray could not see the field from the pocket. And it's, what is he, 5'10", 5'11", maybe? Um so that's something that can be adjusted as long as he learns to move within the pocket. And he's actually on a decent track there right now. But overall, I think it was very a very rookie-ish season for Murray. There were a lot of things that he did well, and you could see why he was a number one pick. And there were some really bad plays where he, you could tell he was predetermining it, his, his decisions, predetermining his reads, not confirming coverages. And he had some ugly turnovers that way. And that's to be expected. And it'll be a big deal this year to see how he learns from that. Because that's one area where you do need to take a quantum leap in order to be successful in the NFL. The, 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 the boneheaded turnovers that you're going to make a few times as a rookie, those need to be cut down significantly in year two. And, and that'll be the big, the big task for him. We uh we talk about a lot of that air raid offense, how guys need to win one on one. Now they have a guy in DeAndre Hopkins who uh he he doesn't necessarily create a ton of separation one on one, but obviously he he's uh he's as good as it gets when it comes to contested catch stuff. So uh what what do you think the sort of domino effect is with this offense? Is it you know the fact that uh, whether it's Christian Kirk or Larry Fitzgerald get some some sort of lesser coverage that they work against? I mean, are, are we going to see uh, really a chance for the Cardinals passing game to, to take off here? Yeah, that's possible. What makes Hopkins a little bit unique is that he's a number one, a true big-time first-class number one receiver who doesn't really threaten the length of the field a whole lot. So he might influence coverages a little differently than like a Julio Jones or or an Odell Beckham would influence coverages. But in Arizona's offense, that could still be a big deal because we just said it's a quick underneath passing game much of the time. And Hopkins has some run-after catch ability, his ability to make those five-yard catches into eight to 12-yard catches, that kind of deal. But as far as how that influences Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, 
one of those guys, Fitzgerald would line up inside of Hopkins, Kirk would probably line up outside of Hopkins, and they're all three need to be lining up in different positions at different times. So that's where Cliff Kingsbury comes in and what he can do to creatively design the passing game to find some of those reads for Murray. And Murray's, you know, he's a good second reaction player. You still want him to be a timing and rhythm player, which is kind of what that Kingsbury offense is built around. Having more options at wide receiver will help that. Uh, You'd still like to see what they can do at tight end a little bit, but I guess if they want to create mismatches in the passing game or add some texture to their offense, that's where Kenyon Drake comes in. Because as good of a runner as he is, he's a valuable receiver as well. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, obviously, you know, with Hopkins, they, they have another receiver, not only a good receiver, but uh, let's just consider him another another body you'd put out there uh, frequently. Uh, I mean, do they do you expect them to go more four wide this year instead of the old, you know, they, they were using tight ends. I'll say this. I, I think they were using tight ends more than you would have expected last year. They did as the season moved along, for sure. Early in the season, it was very evident four wide was their foundation. That's how they were going to play on a regular basis. And my guess is what Kingsbury discovered is in the NFL, that limits your run game too much. And you have to scheme your running game a little bit. It's not like college where some of your blockers are going to be much better athletes and your running back might be a better athlete than the linebackers you're facing. Field shape's a little different in college as well, so there's more space to the outside and a lot of the time. You didn't get those elements in the in, in college. There's more space, of course. So in the NFL, you don't get those elements and that advantage, so you have to create some run game via your designs. And the only way you can really do that is to add blockers, tight ends, or fullbacks, and those guys can be moving pieces where they start out on one side, go to the other side, motion around, creating gaps in the running game. That's what you have to do. And they got they, they became a better offense when they became more balanced in that sense. And I would imagine the plan is to do that again this year because if it was not the plan, I don't think they would have spent the money for a franchise running back, even, if, even though it's just a one-year mm. deal. So a balanced offense, which means – in their case, it's going to mean three wide receivers because Fitzgerald, Hopkins, and Kirk are all too good to have any of them off the field for a prolonged stretch. And and then there'll be an, a, a, a tight end, either Max Williams or Daryl Daniels, depending on the situation. Maybe even Dan Arnold, who was kind of a receiving guy for the Saints a few years ago. Yeah, one other one other thing I want to mention on Kyler, and I, I don't know, and this is purely anecdotal. This is just something I, I noticed early in the season, and he seemed to get better as the season went on. It seemed like as far as his second reaction stuff, as far as running, as far as scrambling uh, when he decided to tuck the ball, uh, I thought early in the year he had a tough time. I think calibrating the speed of NFL defenses and, and NFL defenders specifically, I, I thought a lot of times he sort of took off thinking he could uh, get around the edge on a guy and, and it just turned out the guy was too fast for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was something he did a better job with as the year went on and, and sort of uh, because when he was coming to the league, I think we all sort of thought, you know, he, he's not Lamar Jackson uh, with the ball in his hands, but he is very good with the ball in his hands. And I think we all kind of expected, uh, well, this is a guy who's going to run for, you know, whatever. Or, uh, 800 yards or whatever you think is an impressive marker uh, basically be the second most successful rushing quarterback in the league outside of Lamar which I think he might have ended up being but it just wasn't uh, it wasn't as consistent and it wasn't as it just didn't seem as threatening as it was in college yeah I agree he had 544 yards rushing last year 5.8 yards in attempt 
a lot of those were scrambles. They were not designed runs. With Jackson, you get more designed runs. And Jackson's actually, at this point, a more disciplined passer than Murray in that he is, Jackson, is less likely to rely on his legs. Murray, I thought, was not as fast as he probably thought he was entering the NFL last year. Like you said, the playing speed adjustment. And then the angles of the defense, those were different as well. I think that caught Murray by surprise. And he adjusted okay as the year went along. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he'll be a – it'll be interesting to see how much running – factors into the kind of quarterback he is because mm-hmm. I Lamar Jackson's the first guy I've seen in a long time where I could believe that he could have three or four highly highly successful seasons on the strength of his running and let's say he's had one already just now uh, and then at some point Jackson has to become a passer because defenses will really adjust or they'll just defend only the run Murray I don't know if he can ever have a, a successful season solely on running. I think he does have to be a dual-threat quarterback, as everybody else in the NFL does as well. So it's probably easy for people to think Murray, Jackson, similar guys, because they're similar styles coming out of college, and they're not the similar guys, though. Jackson's speed is so much more significant than Murray's. Murray, if you're going to make a comp, he's a Russell Wilson comparison, and Wilson is is probably a better off-schedule player and thicker body at this point. Um, which he'll always be. He's a bigger man than Murray. So it's, you know, Murray's his own entity, and he's going to have to be a passer first, runner second. I guess that's the big point we're trying to make. Yeah. And uh, to your point earlier, I, I just pulled up the numbers here. Uh, Murray on passes thrown 10 yards and, and closer through the air, uh, 71.4% last year, beyond 10 yards, 45.6%. Now, obviously, that that you know that number should be less than the shorter throws but that's a yeah that's a pretty drastic drop between uh it is uh, the I, two splits there i want to say that 45.6 i don't know it off the top of my head i my guess is that's around the nfl average or so i those deep balls are not i'd be surprised if the league average is over 50 percent completion rate on them that's something i'll have to pull up for uh, next week's show you have that information i'd love to see that information I have it player by player, but I don't have it in like a ranked list. Ah, I got some, some yeah. legwork. Mm-hmm. Some cutting and pasting. Yeah, Good pastime. sure. And then uh, an Excel doc. No, I, I would like to see that information, actually. Because that, downfield throws, I remember last year, because I had some guys, Cody Schwartz is one of them, one of my one of my guys that would track this kind of thing. They were just a lot less accurate then you'd guess, even though anybody would surmise that, of course, they're less accurate than 10 to 19 yard throws, but they're a lot less accurate than I thought they'd be. Do you uh, do you have any specific quarterback you want me to look up real quick? Um, let's try to find a guy who's a good representation of just a regular starting QB. Give me give me Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins. Dak Prescott. All right. Here it is, Dak Prescott. Uh, I gotta copy and paste. This is this is good. Uh, this is good radio here. Yes. I am copying. I am pasting. I am now uh, going to do the sum feature to add up. Uh, he was one thirteen for two oh two, which is fifty five point nine. Wow, that's high. That's higher than now. See now I, I want to go with two or three other guys, but I don't know if we've got the 
the time. To, let's do it next week, or at least okay. send the list to one of our. Send it to Cody Schwartz and make him do it. Well, we'll <laughs> just, be, we'll, just email we'll it to the, me. I will. I'm serious. I'll send it to no, Cody. We'll have the copy and paste show. All right, that'll be a good show. Uh, let me bring up. I, I brought up Kirk Cousins, so let me get Kirk Cousins real quick. He doesn't even have many attempts. He only had 124 his attempts probably, beyond 10 yeah, yards, and his will probably be better because they were such a defined passing game. Murray, I bet 20 plus yard attempts. Some of those were off schedule throws. Same with Prescott. Cousins, it was. It doesn't mean they're going to be completed. I guess they're just cleaner downfield attempts. His are either or decisions. This is this is 10 plus though. By the way. Oh, well, no, I thought we were doing 20 oh, Sorry, plus. 11 plus. I, I can give you. Wait, was I the Prescott you, uh, one 11 plus? Prescott was 11 plus. Well, wait, well, what's uh, the point Ky- of Kyler- doing 20 plus? What's the point of that? Kyler was 11 plus. That's why I thought that was a, oh, a special number, I thought number, you said he was 20 plus. No, 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 45.6 on 11 plus. Oh, that's uh, bad then. He needs to be better there. I can I can give you his 20 plus real quick. See? See how good this is? <laughs> uh, let's see, 58 attempts. 25 completions, uh, 43.1% on 20-plus for that Kyler. That makes more sense. And then, yeah. yeah. well, um, his intermediate throwing does need to improve because that's where a lot of his interceptions came. And his ball will sail at times. He's got a weird trajectory on some of his throws. When he throws off balance, um, that's he, he can be very erratic throwing off balance. He's not a pure arm talent in that sense. So, and the, the other thing that stood out with some of these throws is he took a lot of enormous hits on these intermediate throws. You admire the courage without, I mean, you for sure admire the courage and there has to be a better way. Yeah, he, uh, it, the problem was those 11 to 20 yard routes. That's, that's where he was especially low because uh, he was actually better than Dak and better than Cousins as far as the uh the 20 21 and deeper is where the split is for stats inc so so Uh, my point that those those deep 20 yard plus throws are under those are not a high percentage at all in the nfl completion rate correct yeah but as far as 11 20 uh, 11 to 20 yards goes out of the 34 qualifying quarterbacks Kyler Murray was 34th. Okay. And those are, and that's, that would be last as, as, as if we're following yes. along. Those yeah, are um, th- those are more difficult throws than the downfield throws. We don't think that because when we played schoolyard football, it's just about the length, but, you know, length of the throw. And in professional football, where there are drawn-up plays and coverage disguises and actually 11 guys on each side and you're dealing with moving pieces – intermediate throws are where it's at that's where you separate guys because the downfield it's those are pretty straightforward reads intermediate it's it's multiple defenders that you're facing it's timing and rhythm a lot of the times um so it's that is a great point that you may have murray is that bad and i would have guessed he was bad i would not have guessed he was dead last in completion percentage at the intermediate levels that's where he has to get a lot better and having a guy like hopkins will help that hopkins can be very good on those routes yeah. Yep. Uh, Baker was second for second to last. Aaron Rodgers was another guy under fifty percent. Uh, let me just give you before we move on to Daniel Jones. Ryan Tannehill was seventy three point one percent on those throws last year. Well, eleven and that's, to twenty yards. They did. They do a lot of play action. He was good on the on the rollout designs. I, I bet you Jared Goff was not bad either. He's probably better than the previous years, but last year he wasn't horrible. I would bet. What do you have? Goff? He's mid, middle, middle of the pack, All fifty-seven right, well, point nine. I would have guessed you. Well, okay, I would have guessed you'd been higher, but fifty-eight percent compared to Murray at forty-three percent. 
Uh, that what you said, right? Murray was 43. Yep. So, yeah, the intermediate throws, some of that's a function of the offense. Arizona's offense, so Tannehill, for example, is a ton of play action, which changes the way those intermediate throws are presented to the quarterback. Um, Arizona was not a big play action offense because they didn't have an expansive running game in part. So that's 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 it as well. So Kingsbury, you got to find the happy medium and the sweet spot with Murray because Kingsbury, what's the line you walk between defining your quarterback's read and putting him in an offense that's really not conducive to him? Because you don't want to run. Murray's not that kind of QB. He's not a play action type QB, and you know he's he's a different skill set than that. So that's that's why that's why Kingsbury gets paid a lot of money. He's got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. That's why he has a house like that. Uh, Daniel Jones. So. I remember when we talked about Daniel Jones after his first start, and and one of the things you really like about Daniel Jones is is how long he is staying in his spot in the pocket, and uh, basically allowing you know an extra half second, an extra second for his receivers to get open, for plays to develop, for for these uh, uh, route designs to play out. That's the good part. The bad part is, I mean, he had so he had eighteen fumbles in twelve starts. The NFL single season record is 23, which means he was, had he started 16 games, that's a pace for 24. He would have set the single season record. Uh, he lost, uh, let, let me bring it up, he lost 11 fumbles, I think it was, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, we, we talked about, basically, you know, it, what a problem it was for Jameis Winston to turn the ball over at the rate he did. Uh, Daniel Jones had 11 fumbles lost. 12 interceptions. He had he had 23 turnovers in 12 starts, which is uh, you take the fumbles away and make it a more normal rate. It's it's not a problematic rate, but uh, I guess my question to you, Andy, is how do you how do you basically scheme that out of him? I mean, do, do you make this offense into just like quick strike all the time to make sure the ball is getting out of his hands? Is he's not uh, he's not losing it? No, not in his case, because the reason he's having those fumbles, I would imagine, without and that's one of those things you do need to go look and, and watch the tape on. But the law of it's just he needs to play a little bit quicker, holding the ball too long, pocket movement can sharpen. Just I think with Jones and his style of play, that will get corrected naturally as long as he's continuing to develop if he is not moving forward or progressing then it's going to become an issue like it was last year but I I wouldn't get overly I wouldn't adjust the way you play to accommodate Daniel Jones that way I think he'll get better with experience yeah it's kind of like uh do, do you know what? Do you know a congenital insensitivity to, insensitivity to pain? Where the people who can't feel pain and how that's uh, hugely problematic because it's a, you know, it's it's a survival instinct to feel pain and, and yeah, that's well, kind of what I felt like <laughs> watching him. Like he had no sense that there were people trying to take the football from him and he's just sort of standing in the pocket until say you know like the one play where Jamal Adams just sort of ran up to him and took the ball and ran it back for a touchdown. Yes, yeah, which gets back to pocket awareness and, and playing on time and understanding why you why you have to play on time because it's so many mistakes in the NFL happen when something goes off schedule. Either you're forced to play fast, which means there's quick pressure, um, or or someone does something wrong. You, you see a guy and he's not where you expect him to be that you're trying to throw the ball to, or you're doing something too slow. It's such a timing game in the NFL. And Jones will get uh, sharper there. And by the way, that can't feel pain thing, 
I was first introduced to that I, that notion that that could be a, a, a uh, is that a disability? Is it a disability or, or an ability? Because that, that, there's an upside I, to it as well. But it's yeah, yeah it's I think it's condition. I think it's more downside. Yeah, sure, it's a condition. Um, I used to volunteer the veterans home by our house when I was a kid. I was 12 years old, and one of the veterans one day who was I I spend every week with him weekend. He was telling me how he used to just get in. Uh, he's kind of a little bit of a troublemaker, you know. Boys will be boys. Got into a fight, and I said, "Oh, anything serious?" And he said, "Yeah, one guy died, and one of them once." And I said, "Died? How?" Like, and he's, "Oh, we were fighting, and he had that disability where he couldn't feel pain. He didn't know how bad I was beating him, and oh, man. he killed him. And that's how he delivered the news to me. The same, like the way I'm delivering it to you right now." Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, I, I, I don't mean to make light of it because it is a serious thing, but it, it is what I also thought about when I saw Daniel Jones just completely oblivious to what was going on around him in the pocket. <laughs> I think I think he'll get better. I really yeah. do. It's it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a strange sort of roster construction, or I should say unusual. I, I mean, you know, maybe they'll, they'll make it work. I mean, the, the best players in the past game, I feel like, are, are the running back and the tight end, and then you have... Uh, you know, you have Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, who I, I think in most offenses you'd say like, well, here's a good slot guy. And now they have two of those slot guys. And that's kind of it. Darius Slayton, I think, was a pleasant surprise last year, especially in like contested catch type stuff downfield. But yeah, um, the receiving core is not very good, even if they're all sort of number two slash three type of guys. Uh, and it's really it's about the running back and the tight end. And just as we're talking, I did search, I would do a word search for dash FF, which would be, that's what sack force fumble. So some of the plays that Jones were involved with here, uh, Shaquille Barrett sack force fumble beat Solder inside. Joel Jones's first truly poor player from the pocket regarding awareness and mechanics. Uh, Chandler Jones sack force fumble was due to poor awareness by Jones. Suggs sack force fumble outstanding bull rush to beat Zeitler so nothing on Jones on that one but then Devin Kennard force fumble Jones trying to throw a check down had spent too long on his covered target one thing quarterbacks do in their young Gary they they struggle to understand what's not open they have to wait and confirm and see that the guy's not open whereas a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees the reason those guys are so good at getting late into their progression is they right away understand what's not open so they get off of a bad read the ability to get off of a bad read is just as important as the ability to get on to a good read a lot of the times so when you don't get off bad reads you hold the ball longer the pass rush factors differently and you get some of those uh some of those sack fumbles that we're talking about and that was one thing that has stood out with jones so far through one year gets back to understanding the timing of the passing game all right what uh what do you expect from him going forward, especially you know when you look at what that team is as far as the fact that they don't have a ton of explosive weapons in the receiving core? Yeah, they don't. And so who do you build the offense around? It's probably going to be built around Evan Ingram and, and Saquon Barkley, which will work. And, and if that's the case, then Jones, that would be very friendly for Jones because for one, those guys, especially Barkley, they're not running those intermediate routes a whole lot that we talked about that can be challenging mm-hmm. for a QB. Two is they're lining up in, in ways where the coverage gets clearly defined, and a lot of times one of those two will be facing a linebacker. 
Um, one thing I would imagine Jason Garrett, their offensive coordinator in, in, in New York, who we have not seen run an offense for about 10 years now, so we don't yeah. know exactly what Garrett will be. Uh, but remember, he didn't he didn't call plays in Dallas after the 2012 season. They stopped doing that. Uh, so, but he, he, I would imagine what he'll do is put, especially Ingram at times, align him outside so you can put Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard inside, where I, where both of those guys are probably at their best. Um, so they have the opportunity to manufacture a passing game with Jones, and then it becomes how are you communicating with Jones about what that means for him. How is he learning to read the defense before the snap? There are small, subtle things you can do to really help a quarterback there. Coaching becomes a big factor as well, because Jones clearly has the tools, Gary. He has the makeup. He looks the part. It's a matter of finding an offense that will help him put it all together on a snap-by-snap basis. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? 
You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Let's stay in the NFC East with Dwayne Haskins. And just just a real general question, Andy. I, I mean, obviously, it was a... It was a strange year in Washington. You had the mid-year coaching change. Uh, it, it was really a lost season overall. Uh, it, it was tough to get a read on really where Dwayne Haskins was. And I guess that's my question to you. Uh, do you think he was ready to see the field last year? And do you think he is, based on what you saw last year, do you think he's ready to see the field early this year? I don't think he was ready last year. Maybe towards the end, he was kind of semi-ready by default just because he'd been on the field at that point for a little bit. Um, But when he first came on, he clearly was not ready. And he was incredibly late on something. He was almost so late that he was actually just, it felt like he was more early on the next play's throw. I mean, he was just taking forever (laughs) to get through some of those reads. And, And that's to be expected. And he wasn't, he just wasn't ready to play. And that's not a criticism of him at all. Washington was just in a tough circumstance, and they decided to let him learn to swim by tossing him into the deep end for a little while. I like Haskins. I like the progress that he made. Um, he is more athletic than he appears. Uh, I think he has. He plays with a certain level of courage that's required in the NFL. He's willing to make the tight, tough stick throws, and he's willing to hang in the pocket. He just has to get more efficient in all regards, and it might take him a couple of years, too. That doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Ron Rivera mentioned on a, on a conference call with, with Jenny Brentis, a couple other uh, national writers, that he thought Kyle Allen might make more sense for them going into the season. Uh, you know, Kyle Allen has, has obviously started games for the staff that is going into Washington at this point. Uh, I mean, is is that... Is that realistic? I, I I don't think this team can be looking at the 2020 season and and saying you know we're we're right there we're right there with the uh, uh, you know with the 49ers and with the Packers and whoever else. Uh, that might come down to whether they have an off season or not. I don't if if Haskins is the guy and I know he's not technically the guy because it's a new regime, but Kyle Allen does not have Haskins pedigree entering the NFL. They are on different levels in that regard. I don't understand why you wouldn't play Haskins, especially because of what you just said there. It's a rebuilding adjustment period for for Washington right now. Kyle Allen, though, Gary, he's a talented thrower. His best plays look as good as a a lot of pro bowlers' best plays. It's just a matter of consistency there. But if I were Dwayne Haskins, I don't – I mean, I certainly don't want anybody on the field besides myself, but I don't know if I'd be – particularly comfortable Kyle Allen and especially because of the connection of the Panthers coaching staff and the fact that Allen Allen has some considerable talent as a pure thrower of the football 
All right, let's uh, let's go on to Drew Locke, another another pure talent. And and look, uh, Drew Locke was spectacular in the win in Houston, where they they just really carved up the Texans, and and it looked like they might really take off. And then the rest of the year, it was just uh, it was very conservative. It seemed like he was very protected, which maybe was the right thing to do, but uh, it just he he didn't. He didn't do a he didn't do a whole lot. He didn't take a whole lot of chances. It was just sort of a a, a very uh, sort of uh, well yeah the conservative offense. He is a guy who has tremendous arm talent. He's a good athlete. Uh, you know what do you what do you have to do to open this guy up at this point? Do you think it was just a matter of the fact that uh, you know the weapons were Cortland Sutton and then just a bunch of you know Noah Fant and I guess after those two just a bunch of dudes. Yeah, and Noah Fan had some rookie growing pains himself. He was not always the most reliable route runner, and that became an issue on some plays, including on some turnovers for Denver. Um, I don't think Locke, if anything, he's going to be one you have to regulate backwards. You're going to have to slow him down, rein him in a little bit, because there is an innate aggressiveness to his throwing, and he has the arm to back that up. And I like those kind of QBs. You just have to know how to manage them. And that's going to be, you know, that's that's what Pat Shermer is here to do. So they have a better receiving core around Locke this year. Jerry Judy and, and uh, Hamler from Penn State, the rookies. So we know that it'll be a more defined passing game. How I mean, I'm eager to see, eager to see how they uh, integrate the running game with the passing game, which is something they wanted to do last year, and it really just never worked out for a variety of reasons. And then you wonder a little bit about Locke's offensive line. They have the guys in place. They know who's going to play. Garrett Bowles at left tackle, Juwan James at right tackle, former first-round pick in Bowles. Uh, actually, James was a former first-rounder as well for Miami, but mm-hmm. a big-money free agent. Neither of those guys are, are great NFL pass blockers, to be quite honest, though. And Bulls just had his fifth-year option declined, so they obviously have some concerns about him. James was not always the most reliable guy in Miami, and it's not an overly impressive interior offensive line in terms of raw talent. Maybe third-round rookie Lloyd Cushenberry changes that. So will Locke get the kind of protection that he needs to make it all work? That's something else you have to wonder. Yeah, he uh he had a good quote on NFL Network the other day. Uh, he said uh, Drew Locke probably won the NFL draft, and he did. I mean, it, it's it's did he say uh, it like that? Was that Drew Locke that said that? Yes, that was Drew Locke that said that. And did he say um, it in those words? Yes, the mm. exact quote was, "I'd say that Drew Locke probably won the NFL draft," and he's right. right. Yeah, I mean they they yeah uh, the whole they third had person no ex- thing the third person thing just raises and you, you need to hear it in context. But I've been watching those the Chicago Bulls documentary and i forgot <laughs> yep. what an arrogant selfish guy dennis rodman could be a lot of the time people <laughs> probably want to say no he's just misunderstood yeah, maybe we, you don't understand how he can act that way is what the misunderstanding is but he was he's always referring to himself as dennis rodman i had forgotten that he did that it all came rushing back to me now well i will say in drew Locke's defense it was a line i mean it was a Prepared yeah, line. It, it I don't worked. think it, it, it was it, a yeah. reactive. It's probably it was, fine. wasn't a, wasn't a reactive third person uh, 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 reference here. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had no explosive weapons in this in this offense last year. It was Cortland Sutton, who's who's you know a big contested catch guy, uh, and now he has two guys who can who can separate, who can who can you know add a little bit of speed to this offense. Yeah, I agree with you. I I, I completely agree. 
if his protection's not good, and I think there will be times where it's not, then his challenge will be avoiding the tendency to play too fast and avoiding the tendency to anticipate pressure that's not really there, which is kind of a form of playing too fast. It can be hard to get over edge protection issues as a young quarterback. Um, so just something to keep in mind. I, I do think his pass protection will be a big deal. And if they realize that Bulls and James need help, because it's you can't ask guys to do something that they're not capable of doing, mm-hmm. if those guys are not island pass blockers, um, and in Bulls' case, it'd be an issue with the bull rush. In James's case, probably does he have the twitchiness and quickness to handle things. Uh, if, if the answer is no or not completely, then the, the you have to adjust your offense a little bit too. All right, and finally, we arrive at Gardner Minshew. Uh, and Minshew uh, correctly, accurately points out that he had the best numbers for the most part among the rookie quarterbacks last year. I mean, that that's... Uh, uh, that's that's undeniable. I will say about this offense, and I have a feeling what what you'll say about this offense, Andy. Uh, I'll just I'll just go off the numbers. It was a really uneven uh, offense. They they were they were bottom five in in uh, in three and out. They they went three and out on about a quarter of their drives. They had the fewest sustained touchdown drives. Those are touchdown drives that lasted five minutes or longer. Um, in his defense, they were also uh, they they were dead last in field position. So he did have to go a long way a lot of the time, but. Uh, Overall, I mean, look, he's a he's a late round draft pick. He was a very pleasant surprise. I, I think they're absolutely right to give him another shot this year. But it was a it was a very uneven offense last year. And I thought he was kind of an uneven quarterback, and in a good in a good way more than a bad way. He had more ups and he had downs probably. To me, Gary, he looks like, and I this I don't mean this at all to sound as, as bad as it sounds, and I also don't mean it to sound as good as it might sound. He's kind of a poor man's Russell Wilson. So then we're talking about walking that fine line between playing sandlot football and playing disciplined on schedule football. And the kind of if you're if you're too reliant on sandlot, then the kind of offense you just described is often the one that you get. So my sense with Minshew, if he is indeed a poor man's Russell Wilson, stylistically, uh, then you need a running game to stabilize things in the offense because you you can't rely solely on the, the passing game and the quarterback to keep you on schedule. I don't know if they'd have the running game or not. A lot of it comes down to their offensive line because Leonard Fournette's a guy who's dependent on his blocking. and And then for the passing game, you want that to come off the running game, which is another reason you need the running game. And probably half field reads are at his best, are at the best of the quarterback because that plays a little bit to the scrambling tendency. And one thing that new offensive corner Jay Gruden may want to take a look at, and and by the way, Gruden does do a lot of play action, so that's a big part of of their offense. But you know he's going to have to be accepting of off schedule quarterbacking. And one thing he may want to consider is setting up his passing game in such a way that it plays to which way Minshew likes to escape from the pocket. So go back and watch. I'm sure Gruden's watched all of Minshew's snaps last year. If he is escaping to his left out of certain formations or he tends to escape to his right out of certain formations, you want to design your offense where you're putting extra receivers in those directions so that he has 
options in front of him as he gets outside the pocket because where he got in trouble last year is when he tried to read or work with the entire width of the field once he went into sandlot mode. And that is very hard to do. I don't know if any guy can do that, certainly not consistently. That's where you get a lot of negative plays. So you, once he gets outside the pocket, which way are you kind of influencing him in your designs? Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, look, it, they got a lot of big plays last year in Jacksonville. He was, uh, he was, he was good on downfield throws, um, and they did. They, they, uh, you know, he would have ranked. Uh, I don't have the rate in front of me, but he had twenty six uh, passing plays, twenty five plus yards. Which, when you factor in the fact that he he didn't start three of those games, he probably would have been right around the top ten uh, had he started all sixteen. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, is it. In oversimplification to say that in bringing in Gruden, you have a similar offense coordinator to what you had in Filippo last year as far as a guy who uh, basically has his, you know, really well-designed passing designs and he wants those executed and maybe you don't get them executed. Yes, that's fair. I would guess. I know, and I I know Dave Filippo a lot better than I know Jay. I don't know Jay Gruden very well at all. I've met him in passing, but I would guess Dave Filippo is a little more flexible and and tolerating a quarterback going off schedule on that stuff than Gruden would be. All right. Well, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year for Minshew. Obviously, they are in a rebuild in Jacksonville, and, and everyone's going to be talking about uh, potential for a high draft pick next year, and and the great quarterbacks coming out. So uh, he will he will play well enough to win games and take them out of that uh, that range. Or if he plays poorly, they're gonna they're gonna have the first pick, and he'll be a he'll that's, be a backup. It's a good point. He actually holds his fate in his own hands. He does. He does. It, it's kind of like the Andy Dalton thing. A little bit. Did we want to touch on Dalton going to Dallas, by the way? Yeah, we probably should. I mean, and, and look. <laughs> we talk a, a lot Dak of, all the time, and now here we might not have a Dak to talk about with that move. So I think a lot of people anticipated Andy Dalton going to Jacksonville and reuniting with Jake Gruden, and, and then I think that's that would have been an interesting quarterback uh, competition there between Dalton and Minshew. Uh, I mean, look, so Andy Dalton goes goes to Dallas. We saw what Andy Dalton did uh, three or four years ago when their offensive line in Cincinnati was in much better shape, and you know you had uh, you had really good weapons. You had AJ Green, you had uh, Muhammad Sanu, uh, you had a, 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 a you know a, a, a healthy Tyler Eifert at that point. You had an offense that was built for sort of a game managing quarterback, and you could sort of argue that Dallas might be in the same spot. Now, I I, I think. I mean, look, I, I think you sign Dak Prescott, and Andy Dalton is a very high-end backup, and should something happen to Dak, you're very happy you have him. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll open the floor for you, Andy. No, you, I think you wonder if, if part of this move was just to get Dak to sign his deal and get on with it, because, and we don't know how those negotiations with Dak and the Cowboys are going. Um, let's say that Dallas, the reports that Dallas has offered him such and such money and he's turned it down, they've offered him again. Let's say there's some validity to those. Well, Dak's not in a position to turn anything down now because one thing you would have to worry about in his position is if he does not play and Dalton's a guy in there, what happens if the offense looks the same or just as good as it did last year? What happens if the offense looks better than it did last year, which is entirely possible, especially when you factor in that they've added C.D. Lamb. So 
what they signed was a backup quarterback and also a guy who could make the leverage of the quarterback they're negotiating with disappear. That leverage is gone for Pratt. I think he has to get in there and play now, Gary. I don't think he can afford to play hardball with him anymore because Dallas would be comfortable. Remember Andy Dalton, and I am not a big Dalton guy, but when the things around him work well, he is a very effective quarterback, and we've seen that before. He was an MVP candidate until he got injured a few years ago. So um, I think Dak has to get in and play now. I think that's what this move was about as much as anything. Uh... Maybe you don't agree. I, I, no, you I don't agree. Tell no, me why. No, I, I, I don't. Well, one, I, I don't want to try and read the minds of of, of Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones and, and the folks there. Uh, I am very intrigued by the prospect of Andy Dalton running this offense, and I, I just, I, I guess I just don't know. It's, it's been this long. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think Dak is about to settle. I, I guess this is my point. I can't imagine Dak Prescott sort of saying like, oh, no, you, you brought in a guy who's an inferior quarterback. I mean, Andy Dalton's not as good as Dak Prescott. Uh, and sort of saying like, well, this is going to move me. This is going to get me to, to sign the deal you wanted me to sign. Well, I, but I think it could because that's a, Dalton's a guy that the Cowboys, even, if he, even though Dalton's inferior, Dallas would be comfortable putting him on the field. Yeah. They, no, I they agree. didn't have I, that I before. That. So the, basically, Dallas went from no options behind Dak to now mm-hmm. having an option, and that option's a ten-year NFL starter. Yeah. The other thing is, why would Dalton have take have joined Dallas and kind of joined him? I don't know if it was quickly because I guess we've known for a while Dalton's available, so I'm sure they've looked at all those variables, and he probably knew which teams would take him and not, but. Why would Dalton sign there unless he thought there was a less than or a, a greater than zero chance that he might start for that team? Why? How did he pick Dallas and to be the backup there? Well, it's 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 his hometown, it's home area. Uh, on top of that, I don't know if he was going to get a starting job anywhere. I mean, it it must have been something that they've been looking into all off season. And if no one else was interested in bringing him in, or you know, let's say Jacksonville was interested in bringing him in, uh, do you want to join that dysfunctional Jacksonville organization for one year? And uh, you know, who knows what you're getting coming out of that? It's sort of a risk reward for him because if he is on the field for the Cowboys, he's probably going to look pretty good. And obviously, you get that you know, you, you get that sort of. Uh, natural human, uh, you know, perception bump of being the star quarterback for the Cowboys when you hit the market again, and you know that probably helps him when he's looking for a starting job in 2021. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm I'm looking also at the list of starters and which teams Dalton would have a chance of maybe wedging the guy out for uh, Jacksonville, as you said, and. Um... I mean, New England, but it, it seems like, I mean, everyone's sort of beating the drum for that, but it seems like the Patriots weren't really interested. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Um, so let's say not New England then, not Miami. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, there aren't, you're right, there are not a lot of spots available, so then it becomes a function of, and really it's probably just Jacksonville. It's a spot that he has a chance to start for. So then it's a function of picking the best scenario to be a backup quarterback in and and then how do you pick Dallas from there 
And and yeah. maybe that makes it an easy one because Dallas is one of the few teams whose quarterback is not completely 100% set and rock solid. They're not the, the Chiefs or the Rams or the Texans with Deshaun Watson. I mean, there's any kind of question at all, which there is in Dallas, then that, that makes them the team because everybody else is pretty much set. Yeah, and it's interesting to sort of play devil's advocate to myself, and I guess in this case you would be the devil, Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh Jerry Jones used to always talk about how, you know, oh, we'll find a late-round quarterback. I mean, this was in the probably the early aughts, even, you know, before Tony Romo. Like, you know, oh, we'll find a late-round guy. We'll find a, a guy on the street. We'll just build the team around him and then plug the quarterback in, uh, which is what Dak Prescott was. Dak Prescott was the 135th overall pick of the 2016 draft. He was not a, a high investment. It's It's – you know, obviously Tony Romo on the second contract was was a big investment, and 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 the third contract. But uh, they have, you know, in the post Aikman era, not invested a whole lot in quarterbacks very often. Yeah, that's a good point. That's because even like you're saying, yeah, back in the Quincy Carter days or Drew Henson days. Not that Henson was there long, but that was a guy that they would have said we invested in or we took a chance on. Um, you are right. They they have not. When's the last time they even had a first round quarterback? Troy Aikman. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's Aikman without looking it up. Uh, I I will also point out that that number one they also they they haven't <laughs> they haven't advanced past the divisional round uh, since since the Troy Aikman days. So maybe that uh, maybe that goes hand in hand at this point. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, remember I, they, know, they wanted Johnny Manziel a few years ago. And they wanted they wanted Johnny Manziel and they wanted Paxton Lynch from the year that Peter was in the uh, in the draft. Yeah, so it's down. not like they've ignored them. I'm looking now. I mean, Drew Bledsoe is 2006 for them and 2005. So yeah. it's probably Bledsoe, but that, you know he was a retread at that point. Yep, as far as yep. their own first round cornerback. Um, Ryan Leaf was on the roster in 2001. I forgot about that. Randall Cunningham in 2000. I mean, it's the last time they had a court that they drafted a quarterback in the first round was Troy Aikman. Yeah. And well, something to, uh, some to chew on there, uh, with Andy Dalton going in there, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, they, they wanted you. You remember that Peter piece? Uh, they wanted Paxton Lynch. They were devastated when they got Lynch, and then they were devastated when they didn't get uh, Connor Cook, and they sort of just fell into Dak Prescott and. And that's how he became their their franchise quarterback. Yeah, they've found a couple good ones in uh, in Romo and Prescott for sure. All right. Well, we'll see how that one plays out uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, Andy, once again, thanks very much for uh, for joining us. And I feel like this is just goodbye for now. All right. Thanks, Gary. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is me, Gary Grambling. Special thanks once again to Andy Benoit for joining me for this one. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Keep up with our entire line of podcast five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave us a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. 
I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.